Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Job. The Old Testament book of Job and Job and chapter number one. The book of Job and chapter number one. We've been doing a creation seminar and we come to a very fun session where we're going to see that there is a creature described as a Leviathan inside of the book of Job. And what we're going to try to do is try to do a mystery and find the clues, figure out what this creature is. Now, before we do this, we want to always put things in its context. Why is it that this creature is being used in the first place? We're going to see the context found in the book of Job and chapter 1. And if you don't mind, we're going to go ahead and start with a word of prayer. Then we'll start exploring this passage. If you don't mind, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for you being a great God who loves us so very much, that you're a big God and a caring God. And as we come to you, we're just asking that you would help us to explore the Bible, to see what the Bible says, and that we would allow you to interpret and show it what it means. I'm asking that you would just encourage every heart that's in here. We have lots of children in here today. We're asking that you would just help them to be able to to pay attention and that they would also get the things out of this that they need to. We could trust your Holy Spirit to do its own work. Thank you for this day and we love you. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, if you don't mind, let's begin at the book of Job chapter one and begin at verse number one. Job chapter one and verse one, the Bible says this, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. It says in verse two, and there were born unto him seven daughters and three sorry, seven sons and three daughters. Verse three, it says his substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she asses and a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Now, back in the ancient world, they didn't uh, report uh, record how big their bank accounts were, what they considered part of wealth was the assets that they had. In this case, livestock, animals, camels. And the description of Job here was he was a very wealthy man. At the time that this uh, was recorded, he was the greatest man who had lived at this time with substance and with his relationship with the Lord. Now, Job was written probably shortly after the flood. It is the oldest book in the Bible written shortly after the flood. Now, Job had 10 grown children. All of them died and 10 more children. And we saw that Jacob, uh, Job lived 40 years and saw his sons, sons, and four generations. Basically, we're trying to say that Job had lived quite a long time. 
Let's go back to the story and see what happened. Now, Job had all of this wealth, but then he had one very bad day. Notice with me in Job chapter 1 and verse 14. And there came a messenger unto Job, said the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians came. Uh, fell upon them and took them away. And yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I am escaped alone to tell thee. So this guy comes up to Job and says, Job, we were watching your oxen. We were watching the asses. And what happened is these bad guys came and they killed everyone. And I'm the only one that survived. They're all gone. Well, as soon as he finishes telling, notice what happens now. Verse 16, and while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped to tell thee. Now what happened is that the first guy came and says, you've lost all this property. You've lost all these assets. And while the guy was set speaking, another guy came and said, listen, not only the bad guys came, I was at a different place and the fire of God came and it wiped out everything. And I'm the only one that survived. You lost everything. What else could happen? Notice in verse 17. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans made out with three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. Yea, and have slayed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped to tell thee. So while that guy was telling, here's a third guy who came up and says, I'm in a different place. And while we we're there, the Chaldeans came and they took away everything else. And I'm the only one that survived. That's some bad news to hear that you've lost all of your property, all of your assets, all of your servants, all of your labor. They're all gone. What else could happen? Notice with me the next verse, verse 18. And while he was yet speaking, here's messenger number four. And there came another and said, thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So now the fourth messenger comes and says, I was at a different place and all of a sudden this tornado thing just came and knocked down the house upon your kids. They're all dead. That's a bad day to find out you lost all your wealth, all your property, all your possessions and your children. And just the same span, one messenger after another, coming and tell him, that is a bad day. That is a very bad day. How would you respond if you had that bad of a day? Well, notice what Job did. Verse number 20. And Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down at the ground and worshipped. What was his response? He bowed down and still worshipped God. Notice specifically what he said in verse 21. And he said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Now that's some guy right there. To lose everything that you had, to lose your family and still say God is still good and God is still right. I can trust him. That's a pretty amazing guy. Well, it's not over yet. Notice in chapter 2, verse number 7. 
So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to his crown. So now, as if it wasn't bad enough, now he starts to have health problems. He begins to have these boils all over his body. It's like big fat blisters, but when they pop, a lot of ooze and pus begin to leak out of it. And it's sore and it hurts. So this is a guy who's lost everything and now his health is being taken away. That's a pretty bad day. Notice his wife looks at him. Now remember, she's lost everything too. And now she's watching her husband suffer. Verse number nine, then said his wife to him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Now she wasn't being mean. She says, I'm tired of seeing you in this way. You're hurting. Just Curse God and die. Just tell God that he's bad God. Let him kill you. Get it over with so you don't have to suffer anymore. I meant, is that an understandable? Is that how a lot of people would respond? Just, (laughs) we're done. Just take me home. I don't want to be here no more. Well, how did Job respond to this? Verse number 10. But he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all of this did not Job sin with his lips. So even with his wife, she's saying, just get it over with. He's saying, listen, God's still good and God's still right. No matter what happens, that doesn't change. You understand God is still good, whether you're having a good day or bad. God is still good, whether you're hurting or not. God is always good and God is always right. Now, when this didn't work, what happened is that uh, some friends came to go visit in verse number 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all of this evil that came to him, they came every one from another's place. Eliaphaz the Tiamite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namanite, for they had an appointment together to come and mourn with him. So these three friends came, and they came with the purpose of comforting him. However, they're not going to do a lot of comfort. Now, interesting enough, we're introduced right here to the shortest person in the Bible. The shortest person in the Bible, notice this, Bildad the Shuhite. How big do you have to be in order to be Shuhite? Well, his friends gathered together and they began to talk to Job. And by each turn, they kept saying, Job, just get right with God. Come on. You, we know that these bad things wouldn't happen without a reason. You must have sinned. You must have messed up. Come on, Job, just get right. And so Job's sitting there. He's lost everything. He's hurting. And his friends are badgering him. Just get right. Just get right. Well, that's not very good comforting. We need to be careful how we comfort people when they're hurting. The Bible gives an example in chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Temite answered, and he goes on and says, Whoever perished being innocent. What he is basically saying is, listen, these things wouldn't happen to you unless you didn't do, did, you had to have done something. Just get right with God. Typical wisdom of the world, by the way. You must have sinned. You must have done something wrong. That's why bad things are happening to you. Now, we need to be careful. For example, if somebody had their gallbladder taken out, you don't want to say, those aren't gallstones. (laughs) Those are your tithes and offerings. God's just trying to catch back up with them. That's not the way to comfort people. All right. (laughs) 
Job went on and as the friends kept putting a full course press, finally he got to the place where he said, Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me. He says, I just want God to tell me what's going on. Now you need to be careful what you ask for. Because sometimes it may come to pass. But he says, I just want someone to answer me. All right. Well, <laughs> with this, we need to remember that there's a great promise found in the Bible in Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good. It doesn't mean that all things are good, but all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Maybe I could illustrate this. Have you ever been hungry? All right, kids, have you ever been hungry? All right, so because you're hungry, how about this? I give you a cup of flour. Will that help out? Just give you a cup of flour and say, here you go. Just, you know, eat it right there. How about, well, not with just flour by itself. How about this? How about a teaspoon of salt? There you go. Will that make you less hungry if I just give you a teaspoon? Just pour it in there and let you, nope. All right. How about a teaspoon of baking soda? Would that help if I just, no? Yeah? Well, how about this? How about a half a cup of Crisco? Well, that kind of... I don't know what that is. <laughs> Good. Well, when you get home, what you do is you ask mom where the jar is and she'll let you taste some. <laughs> how about this? A cup of buttermilk. That buttermilk that's so sour that it'll crack your teeth when you drink it. How about that? Well, how about... Mixing them all up and making biscuits. Is that a lot better? Yeah. yeah. Well, you see, not all of those things were good by themselves to eat, but if you put them together, they made something good, right? Well, that's what God is doing for us. Not all things are good, but he puts them all together for good. So again, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. We need to keep our eyes on God and let him be in charge and trust that he knows what he is doing. Why do we have to trust God? Because our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our hearts can lie to us. Our feelings can lie to us. That's why we can't trust our feelings. We have to look at God and trust him. Now, in Job chapter 38 and verse 1, remember Job said, oh, that one would answer me. Well, in Job chapter 38, the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind. Now, what's a whirlwind? Well, if a tornado begins to start speaking to you, you probably need to pay attention. So here's a big tornado that comes and says, Job, I want to put you to the test. And he says, yes, sir. He said he wanted God to speak to him. And God says, all right, here I am. And chapter 38, verse 2, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? He says, who's been speaking without knowing the whole facts? Sometimes we're all guilty of that. Remember, God knows everything, but there's a lot of times we complain and say God's not good without knowing everything that God is trying to get accomplished. We need to be very careful, by the way, about getting doctrine from the book of Job because a lot of it is speaking without knowledge. It's a recording accurately a conversation between people, but it doesn't mean that conversation was correct. 
And verse number three, God's continuing to speak. He says, gird up thy loins like a man, for I will demand and answer thou me. Basically what God's saying is, listen, Job, I'm going to talk to you and you better pay attention because there's a test at the end. Now, if God says there's a test at the end and he wants you to pay attention, do you think you should probably listen to what he's saying? He says, he's going to say something pretty important. Now, what he does for the rest of Job is he says, where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Question mark. What's going to happen in the next several chapters? God is going to ask question after question after question to Job. And all of them are going to be unanswerable except for the idea that God is the answer. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 28, 9, the Lord searcheth the hearts and understanding the imaginations of the heart. God knows what we think. He knows all the answers. We should probably pay attention to him. 1 Chronicles 28, 9, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of man. He knows what we think. He knows why we think it. <laughs> and Luke eleven seventeen, but he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts. Do you know that Jesus knows your thoughts too? He knows everything that you think, and he knows why you're thinking them. We have so many verses of scripture that show that Jesus is God, and he knows what people are thinking. Well, going back to Job, he's continuing to ask questions. Notice this question. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof if thou knowest? What he's asking is that, all right, I made the universe. Who's ever took the measuring tape and found out how big it was? That's a big measuring tape, isn't it? He's asking a question that Job cannot answer. All of these questions are going to lead up to God, that God is the one who knows everything. In Job 38, 16, it says, How thou entered into the springs of the sea? Did you know we didn't even know there were springs in the depth of the sea until 1977? We're still catching up to the science of the Bible. There is so much science found in the Bible. Notice as it goes on, verse number 19, where is the way that light dwelleth? Where does light come from? How do you explain where light comes from? You know, we're still studying the idea of particles and waves and where they come from, but God was talking about it thousands of years ago. And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? How does this all work? The idea of light and how light travels. It says, by what way is light parted? which scattereth the east wind upon the earth. Did you know that light controls the wind? Well, God knew about it thousands of years ago. We're still trying to discover it. That what happens is that the sunlight actually helps cause the winds and the effects of the winds with weather. And Job 38, 37, it says, can thou sins lightning? Now that's a good question. Can you imagine having that power to be able to send forth lightning? How many of you know someone that's lucky to be alive because you can't cast lightning, right? <laughs> God has that power, but we don't. But he asked that question, can thou sins lightning? And Job's like, no. God's like, I can. Remember the whole thing that God is the answer. Can thou sins lightnings that they may go and say unto thee, here we are. Did you know that using lightning, we can send communications? We send words through electricity, through radio, email, tel your cell phones, all of that stuff works off of electricity and we send messages through electricity. God spoke about this thousands of years ago, way before they had a television, before they had radio. God had all these things figured out. We're still catching up to the science found in Job, which is the earliest book of the Bible. 
How about this? Over and over, question after question after question. He goes on through chapter 38, through chapter uh, 39, through chapter 40. Then we come to chapter 41. And in chapter 41, we start to describe a creature called a Leviathan. Now, God is still asking questions to Job. And all throughout chapter 41, there is a creature that is being described called a Leviathan. Now, we don't know what this creature is. We don't have it today, but it was something that Job knew about. And God is saying, you see that creature over there? And he begins to describe the creature. If you don't mind, what I would like to do is let's take some time to read the passage together and we will give a summary of the passages we read. Then what we will do is take all of the summaries and let's see if we could figure out what this creature is. Let's start off in verse 1. Maybe you'd like to look at for yourself in the book of Job chapter 41 and kind of walk through this with me. But let's look and see this creature and how this creature is described. Job chapter 41. Now remember we did the context that God is asking questions. God is speaking here. And God is asking questions to Job where Job is supposed to pay attention because there's going to be a quiz. So Job chapter 41 and verse 1, can thou draw Leviathan with a hook or with his tongue a cord that thou lest down? So whatever this creature is, are you going to be able, Job, to take a fishing line to swing it out, cook its mouth and reel it in? The answer, of course, is no. Whatever this creature is, you're not going to be able to get a fishing line or a hook and drag this creature around. Okay, we're getting an idea. It goes on and says, can thou put us hook through his nose or bore it through his jaw with a thorn? So we have some animals today that they could put a hook through his nose and use it to draw them up. We do that with some oxen. They would have a hook on its nose. So whatever this creature is, you're not going to be able to put a hook in its nose and drag it around. Whatever this creature is. What else does it describe? It says, will he make many supplications with thee? Will he speak soft words to thee? So whatever this creature is, if you happen to back him into a corner, will he says, please don't hurt me. Please don't do anything to me. I'll be nice, I promise. So whatever this creature is, is he going to beg? The answer, of course, is no. Is he going to say soft words to thee? No. So whatever this creature is, he's not going to be nice about it, and you're not going to be able to make him beg. All right? So we're getting an image, right? We haven't got to the to the summary yet. We're still trying to put the passage together. Will he make a covenant with thee? Will he make an agreement? Please, if, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Will thou take him as a servant forever? Now there's many animals that we've been able to tame and put as pets. Whatever this creature is, you're not going to make him a pet. You're not going to make him a servant. You're not going to be able to control him. He's not going to beg and he's not going to make an agreement with you. All right? Will thou play with him as a bird? All right, come here, Leviathan, get on my shoulder. Will you be able to play with him like a bird? Or will thou bind him for thy maidens? With this type of creature, will you be able to take him home and let your little girls play with him? Here you go. You go ahead and pet him. He's going to be nice. So what else are we going to find? Shall the companions make a banquet of him? Shall they part him among merchants? So are you going to be able to take him up and just chop him up and just eat him? You know, is this a type of creature that's going to just allow that to happen? Can thou fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? Meaning you're not going to be able to tame him. You're not going to be able to control him. You're not going to be able to hurt him. 
Lay thy hand upon him and remember battle. Do no more. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? So whatever the creature is, if they were to see this creature, they would go, oops, and be backing away. So we've kind of given through this passage here uh, a kind of a description. What could we summarize? You guys talk to me now. Through these verses we just read, what is a phrase that we could probably say to describe this? Someone give me something. How would you describe this creature so far? Okay, dangerous and mean. All right, so we could agree with that. We would say like this, huge and mean. Could we agree with that? Huge and mean. That's a good summary of what we said. Dangerous and mean, good. Good job. All right, so pay attention. Let's see if you get the other ones, okay? So huge and mean. The first description is huge and mean. Let's go on. Verse number 13, who can discover the face of his garment or who can come with him with a double bridle? Now a bridle is an instrument we would put inside of a horse to control him. So whatever this creature is, are you going to be able to take a bridle and say, all right, let's open up your mouth and force this in your mouth. All right. So whatever this creature is, you're not going to force his mouth open. Notice what else it says. Who can open the doors of his face, his teeth? are terrible roundabout. So whatever this creature is, it's putting emphasis on his mouth and his teeth. So what we would say is a description of this passage of these two verses. All right, someone? Come on. Um, good. All right. We would say he had big teeth, right? So you're not going to open up his jaws and his teeth are terrible, big. They're awesome. You look at them and go, oh, I don't want that. All right. So we got the description. We're still adding more to it. Okay. So big teeth, right? How would you like to see those things up close? Well, let's see what else we've got. That was a picture I had, but let's see what the description says first. All right. So, so far we say he's huge and mean. And then he's got big teeth. Could we agree with this so far? Yep. Let's see what else we got. His scales are his pride. Shut up together, close seal, one so near to another that no air can come between them. So it says that this creature has scales and that no air can get between them. They're so armor plated and they're close beside. You couldn't put a sheet of potato. Uh, paper between them. You can't even get air to go in between those scales. They are joined one to another, but they stick together and they cannot be asunder. So what this description we have of this, that this creature has, that he has scales. All right. So we can agree with that. This creature has scales. So let's see what we have so far. That this creature, he's huge and mean. He's got big teeth and he's got scales. Can we agree with this so far? Yeah. Let's see what else is described here. By his kneesings, a light shine. That's an interesting word, the word kneesings. This is the only time this word appears inside of the Bible. And it's because it's a made up word. That the word kneesings is a cross between breathing and sneezing. They didn't have a word like that in English that meant breathing and sneezing at the same time. So they had to invent a word. And so they said, here you go. You got kneesings. So it, it's, it's an idea that it's a breathing. It's, it's not quite breathing. It's also sneezing. It, it's blowing something out. Okay. So by his kneesings. 
Out of his mouth goeth burning lamps and spark of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke of a seething pot or cauldron. His breath kindleth coals and flame goeth out of his mouth. So what would be the description we would have here? Fire comes out of his mouth. We can agree with that. It breathes fire. So let's go with the description now. We're not guessing yet. We've got to go through the whole description. We said it's huge and mean. We said that it's got big teeth, that it's got scales, and that it breathes fire. All right. Am I correct so far? Let's see what else we've got. In his neck remaineth strength and sorrow is turned to joy before him. So this creature is putting an emphasis on it. The strength in its what? Neck. So whatever this creature is, it has a? Okay. It has a strong neck, right? Good. All right. It's got a strong neck. So here's the description we got so far. That it's huge and mean. It's got big teeth. It's got scales. It breathes fire. And it has a strong neck. Well, let's see what other descriptions we have of this creature. His heart is as firm as stone. Yea, as hard as a piece of neither millstone. All right, that's a poetical way of saying it. What would we say this? What's a description? You have your hand up. Cold hearted. Very good. So whatever this creature is, it's cold. You see, even kids can pick out the description, right? So whatever this creature is, it's huge and mean. It's got big teeth. It's got scales. It breathes fire. It has a strong neck and it's cold hearted. What else does this passage describe of this creature called a Leviathan? When he raiseth up himself, the mighty are afraid. By reason of breakings, they purify themselves. It says, when they see this creature, they look up and they wet their pants and go, oops, uh, okay. Uh, even the mighty, the bravest ones are scared in his presence. The sword of him cannot, that layeth him cannot hold. The spear, the dart, nor the habit garden. So with this, it says these, these uh, warriors have come to it and uh, their weapons are what? Useless, right? Good. Weapons are useless. They're scared and when they try to hit it, uh, it just falls apart. The earlier passages describe this. So this is a big creature. It doesn't look like he'd be defeated. So, so far it's huge and mean, big teeth, scales, breathes fire, strong neck, cold-hearted, and weapons are useless. Well, what do you think this creature might be? All right, let's, let's do this one uh, all at once. Uh, three, two, one, tell me. A fire-breathing dragon? Do you think it's a clear description of a fire-breathing dragon? Seems pretty clear, doesn't it? Wow. I mean, the Bible gives a pretty clear description that that's pretty much the only thing we could think of that would fit all of those categories, right? Well, they said, do you really believe in fire-breathing dragons? Well, let me give you four reasons why I believe in fire-breathing dragons. How about this? First of all, because the Bible says there's one. Well, if the Bible says there's one, then I believe it. How about this? 
There are hundreds of legends about them. By the way, we'll spend a lot of time next week talking about some of those legends. But if there's so many legends from every culture, could it be that they have seen something like that? What about this? It is chemically possible. Do you know what's chemically possible for a fire-breathing dragon to exist? May I give an example? Let me show you this creature called the bombardier beetle. The bombardier beetle is very interesting because it has two chemicals inside of it that when they are put together, they will spray chemically and give a chemical burn to the creature. Now, because you don't want to have the two chemicals inside of you burning you, it has to have a third chemical inside of it to neutralize those two chemicals so it doesn't blow up. However, you don't need to have that chemical neutralized, so it has to have a fourth chemical inside of it in order to neutralize the neutralizer. Now, that's a lot of chemistry you have to study before you could pass that course, right? Mm -hmm. This becomes very interesting of the bombardier beetle. That the bombardier beetle has to have these chemicals in balance and the perfect thing in order for it to work. It's one of those things that evolution cannot form on its own. It can't form by chance. It can't say, well, I developed two chemicals that blow me up and then don't have a third one. I mean, just you can't have them just blowing up all over the time as they're developing. I can't reproduce that away. I've been... Uh, studying and preparing, I happen to run into an article because this is a hard one for evolutionists. They attempt to try to, I saw an article not too long ago where they were trying to say, oh no, the bombardier beetle could have done it by evolution. And then they give a very weak, you know, like, how does that even work? It's one of those things that it either works or it doesn't work. Amen. It has to be all or nothing. But we do know that it is chemically possible for fire breathing dragons to exist they could breathe out a chemical that burns, if nothing else. So why do I breathe in, believe in fire-breathing dragons? First, because the Bible says there's one. There's hundreds of legends about it. It's chemically possible. But may I give a fourth idea? That some dinosaurs have a strange compartment inside of their head. Now, this is speculation, but would it be a place where they could store some of those chemicals so it could spill it out? Inside of it, it is hollow. Now, scientists have theorized different things that maybe it helps kind of resonate a sound blowing out, but could it be possible that's where it helps some of those chemicals? So I could, just as a possibility, I'm just trying to say that it's possible. I do believe in fire-breathing dragons and just speculating on this. So going back to Job, going back to Job 41, Remember, God is speaking and he's asking Job questions. And he uses Leviathan. Why is he spending a whole chapter talking about a Leviathan? Well, he ends up the chapter on this saying, Upon the earth there is not his like who is made without fear. He beholdeth all high things. Notice this. He is the king over all the children of pride. So this creature, which we now know is a fire-breathing dragon, is a picture of the king of pride. Now, that makes sense. Fire-breathing uh, dragons in all of history are considered some of the wisest creatures who ever lived, some of the most haughty creatures that ever lived, some of the most prideful and arrogant creatures in all the legends. That's interesting, isn't it? That God says, no, that creature of that fire-breathing dragon, that's a picture of the king of pride. Interesting. So how does that relate to us? Notice in Psalm 74, notice it's going to use the word Leviathan, but notice how it describes Leviathan. Psalm 74, 13 and 14, thou divide, did divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the head of the dragons 
in the waters, thou breaketh the head of the Leviathan. Notice the Bible makes the Leviathan and a dragon synonymous. The Bible describes itself. In case you ever wanted to know what the Bible said this creature was, it's a dragon. Interesting. Notice <laughs> the word dragon is used. The word dragon is used 34 times in the word of God. Well, why didn't they use the word dinosaur? That's a good question. The word dinosaur was coined in 1841, over 200 years after the authorized version was uh, translated. It means that when the translators put together the English Bible that we have today, there was no dinosaur. There was no word. That was a new word. So the word dragon and the word dinosaur are the same terms, the same idea. Now in Isaiah 27 verse 1, it again it uses the idea of Leviathan. In that day of the Lord with his sore and strong and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan the piercing serpent. Even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and slay the dragon. Notice there are three terms that are used, Leviathan, dragon, and serpent. These are used to describe the same creature. Leviathan is a dragon. It is a serpent. Now, how's this going to play? Well, let me show you something else. Revelation 12 and verse 19. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. It is my personal opinion that in the Garden of Eden, it never says snake, by the way, it says serpent. And that word serpent is an idea of a lizard, a reptile. And I don't believe it's a snake. By the way, which one is more prideful? A snake hanging from the tree or a fire-breathing dragon? If Satan wanted to illustrate his wisdom and his pride, which one would definitely be the picture? And in the Bible, it calls Satan a dragon. And it uses synonymous with the term serpent. A fire-breathing dragon. Now, going back to Job 41, remember God is asking Job some questions. Why is he asking this? Well, in Job 41 and verse 10 in the middle of the passage, it says, none is so fierce to dare stir him up. Meaning that, listen, you may have someone who talks bravely, but you're not going to be able to get someone to say, hey man, you see that dragon over there sleeping? I double dog dare you to go poke him and wake him up. No one's going to be that brave or that stupid. No one's going to go over there and purposely provoke that thing. Uh, they're like, nope, nope, can't do it. Now, remember, what is God trying to teach Job? What's he trying to get across with this creature that he's described and said he's the king of pride and that no one will dare stir him up? Notice verse 10 again. None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Who created that dragon? God did. Who is bigger than that dragon? God. Isn't it amazing that no one is brave enough, stupid enough to go slap a dragon when it's sleeping to wake it up? Then why do we think we could provoke God and stand before God and challenge God? That's either very brave or very stupid on our part. When God is bigger than them. Remember, this is the whole thing he's trying to get across to Job to realize how big God is. So what was the reaction to God's describing Leviathan? How did Job respond? Remember, God said, there's going to be a test. Let's see how Job did on his test. 
Job chapter 42, the next chapter after Leviathan, it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything. Well, that was the first thing he learned. God, you know everything. You can do everything. You're powerful. You created the world. (laughs) I'm just putting that up front. You're God. And he says that no thought can be withholden from thee. He says, Lord, not only do you know, uh, create everything, you're all powerful, but I can also know there's no thought I could withhold. You know everything I think, you know why I think it, you know what's going on. You know everything. He says, in addition, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. What was Job's reaction? He said, listen, I don't know anything. You're in charge. You know everything. I can trust you. I am so small. Go ahead. Carry on. You do what you got to do. Forgive me for even bringing things up. I'm sorry. You're God. Job just needed an attitude adjustment. He didn't need to ask the question, why are things happening? He needed to ask the question, who is causing this? And the answer is God. The answer was to point to God and look at God and trust God that he knows what he is doing the whole time. He goes on, he says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth. I've heard about how wonderful you are. Now I see it for myself. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent to dust and ashes. He says, listen, I hate myself, meaning the idea that I see myself as low. I am nobody. You're God and I'm nothing. I'm just ashes. You're a big God and I'm so small. You are big. Now that brings up a good question. Do you fear God? Is God a big God to you? You say, well, of course he is. Well, listen, if he's a big God, then you're willing to obey what he says because he is God and he knows what he's doing. When we refuse to obey God, we don't see him as a big God. We see him as a God that we could push around or move out of the way. If God is God, who dares stand before him? Who dares provoke him? You see, if God is God, and he is, and he created everything, and he did, and he created even creatures that you wouldn't go and slap to wake up, who are you to go stand before the God who created all of this? God is God. So with that in mind, is God a big God to you? Are you able to stand before him? Are you able to listen to him? Do you realize that one day you're going to stand before him and give an account? Is God a big God to you? Maybe you're suffering through things. Maybe you're going through some hard times. Are you able to trust God and look at him and depend upon him? Is God a big God to you? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 920- 
920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.